Hi, this is Ikim. Hi, this is Katrina. Welcome to High Impact Coffee Hour, where you can listen to two psychology nerds chat with academics about philosophy, feminism, and science. Hi, everyone. It's been a while, and a lot has happened in the world around us. Um, so, again, my name is Katrina, and I'm joined today by the my co-host and wonderful, amazing friend Ikim. Hi, everyone. I'm just saying the tune to the start of our our intro song in my head. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes, it's uh, ingrained in my head too. Um, can't wait to edit that in at the yeah, end. Yeah, we've been gone for a for a hot minute. I think like half a year. We didn't record. Yeah. For half a year. Yeah. yeah. Nothing really happened to the podcast. We just both got kind of busy, and with summer, um, we just have like stuff to do like conferences to attend and also cat is in europe person very soon and um who knows maybe we'll record an episode when we're both in the same room um, yes that is the hope um it's been nice adjusting to the european time zone and hopefully uh you and i can be in the same room together and record something um about our phd journey so far or if any people have requests feel free to let us know but yeah. So, Ethan, what are we talking about today? So, I thought maybe it would be a good idea for us to talk about how to find meaning slash focus in such a turbulent time slash world. Um, I mean, the world is literally on fire, some parts of the world, and, you know, there's war and there's uh, uh, rights being rolled back, which is really upsetting and frustrating for a lot of people. And I think it's just one of those times in life when finding focus for work is very difficult. And, you know, maybe people are struggling to find the meaning of what they do and having a hard time going to work and finding that motivation you need to go through the day. Um, I think that's quite natural and, 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 you know, to be honest, quite human to be impacted by this kind of external event. So I thought maybe today we could just talk a little bit about how we're doing with that and maybe how we try to cope with this and how we try to find meaning and focus in our own lives as PhD students. And hopefully that can help you a little bit as well. So, Chad, do you want to start off? Yeah, so that was very well put. Um, I think that we can all say right now that it's just been very tough to focus on work and responsibilities and just anything besides the news and doom scrolling and seeing everything go backwards in time. Um, and so it just feels like everything is so put into perspective when you think about the bigger picture and everything that's happening all over the world, really not just in the United States, um, where we tend to focus our energy towards, especially if you're living in the United States, but it's quite <laughs> just frustrating thinking about it all while also having to juggle so many different things and papers and, and classes and clinical work and just responsibilities that you have in your personal life. So I've been just trying to think about this more myself of how to not necessarily compartmentalize because I think it's important to think about those issues and to really take some time to just recover from, from everything that's happening, even though I don't think it's possible to truly recover because now this is a lived reality. And, um, of course, we're very privileged in this sense that it's not directly affecting us right now in this moment, but it's definitely just harrowing to think that it could um, and that it's affecting thousands and will affect millions and millions of um, 
women and we're sorry i just realized we're not <laughs> i was being very vague we're referring to the roe v wade um overturning from the supreme courts this week it's just a lot to process and take in um and yeah very devastating to learn about you can do you have ways that you've been coping with this or i know that you're in the uk now yeah. but um it's so yeah a very scary idea to think about yeah i think it's a bit of a um, false advertising to say that like we know how to find meaning or focus in this moment because mm -hmm. the truth is ever since roe v wade was overturned it's been really difficult for me to like focus on work or to just try to even take a look at my to-do list to figure out what tasks i actually need to accomplish and it's not that i don't have work to do i, I you know i have deadlines coming up and i have stuff to prepare for but I think just in this moment, it's very difficult to remember why we're doing the PhD in the first place, because I fluctuate between anger and sadness. I and mean, all of this, I'm thinking about like, what can I possibly do as a researcher, as a psychology researcher that could, you know, perhaps create some sort of positive impact in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade. And it's very, very difficult to think of ways that I can concretely create that kind of, you know, impact on the world. Um, you know, I, I could collect data and, you know, run experiments and do a study in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade, but essentially what stops me in a track is realizing that I don't really think people are going to apply my results immediately and I don't really think they're going to make something positive out of the skills that I do have in my PhD. Um, so then that led me thinking that perhaps I need to just go back and try to focus on work because the truth is when the world is quite chaotic, I don't really know what else to do. Um, and work seems to be the easy option because it is something that I've been doing every day and it is something that I'm familiar with. So I'm not really sure how I'm coping with this. I think the way I'm coping currently is just, you know, try to work, but not really getting too much done and i am definitely struggling to find meaning in the work that i do in the sense that i don't think it's going to directly impact will be way and i'm realizing more and more that the phd work that i do is incredibly interesting to me and i, I i'm motivated intrinsically to pursue this line of work but it's not externally satisfying you know, which is something that I think a lot of PhD students can relate to and something that you kind of need to reconcile with, especially if you're thinking of doing a PhD. It's something that I think you'll encounter time and time again, whether it's to a grant awarding committee or, you know, funding applications or just to your colleagues or friends or family. The essential question becomes, why are you really studying this? Why are you really investing so much time and energy at a financial cost to pursue this degree, to do the thing that you do? Why do you care so much about it? And a lot of times you're gonna realize, well, perhaps it's not directly applicable to the real world. Um, it's quite difficult to justify for that unless you're one of the few lucky ones. So, you know, in moments like this, I think it really highlights that question. Um, why is your work meaningful? And it's <laughs> the entire time I was just nodding along to what Ikin was saying because um, it really, can feel like, feel hopeless sometimes on and being in a PhD program, a lot of the time it's about the long game and the long run and, and really having patience in um, knowing that what you're doing does matter, but you may not see the results 
uh, immediately and you may not see the results in the ways that you want to see them, but it really, it really does make you have to look inward if you're in a PhD program, if you're thinking about going into a PhD program, whether this, some, this is something that will really make you happy inside and will really just be intrinsically motivating to do. Even though I know Ethan mentioned that extrinsically doesn't seem like we're, we're doing matters or that it's changing lives or making a difference in some way. But I think that having that happiness and doing what you're doing and, and making sure that it serves you is enough for it to matter. And so many people tend to think that it doesn't in the ways that they want it to, but other people, when, when like you tell someone what you're doing, I think other people often get very excited or very like interested in the things that you do and that you're able to have this sort of schedule and are able to really design and create your own experiments, your own ideas, and really carry them out until the end, even though they may not end up being what you want. And I think that's really the great thing about the PhD program. Um, of course, it comes with all of its challenges and negatives, and <laughs> that's another whole podcast, but it's um, that can be something that keeps you going, especially during these hard times. Um, and like Ekim was saying, I've also just I feel like I've been getting busy work done, but then not doing as many meaningful things or, or things that uh, require more brain work uh, during this time because it's just not feasible for me at the moment. And that's okay, I think, to just take that break and to not overextend yourself and pretend like reality isn't happening at the same time. Uh, and this can go towards any anything that's happening in the world or in your personal life or just sometimes you're just having a bad day and there's no reason for it. And that's okay not to do anything. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I should also say that, you know, for the past couple of months, ever since the Ukrainian war broke out, I feel like it's just been one bad news after another. Not that the news cycle was really gentle before the war broke out <laughs> in the first place, but I think in general, just for the past four to six months, things have been kind of surreal. Um, and I'm sure that's not, you know, like unique just to me. I think a lot of people have been finding this time post-pandemic, well, not even post-pandemic, but in the sense that economically speaking and in terms of government policy, at least in the UK, everybody is pretending that COVID is completely over, even though there's actually another spike and there are more variants. Um, it's just a very confusing and chaotic time, I think. And if you're, you know, millennials or Zoomers like Kat and I are, I think this is just one of the first challenges that we've faced maybe since we were born. It kind of feels like you were born into this time being promised of peace and, you know, harmony of, of technology, of a world where people are way more connected than they ever were, were before, you know, this world of globalization. And then you, you, you're in your 20s and all of a sudden we find ourselves at a world where things kind of don't make so much sense anymore. And I think that's a really difficult thing to grasp with. And it's totally okay to be feeling confused and unmotivated right now. And I think that's a really natural and human response to the times that we're in right now. But I, I do want to say that I, I did think about whether it's worth it to make episodes when, um, when it's more reactionary than proactive, as in we're making episodes um, to talk about, you know, the news cycle and things that break out and how they might influence our PhDs and our, you know, our lives. And the reason I didn't think it was necessarily worth it to do this is because 
I didn't feel like I had much to say and I don't really have resources to share. It's not like I can signpost people towards charities or or organizations that could offer help to the situation. You know, it's not like I can really accumulate positive impact by providing the kind of concrete resources that I think a lot of other more professional channels might be able to do. But I do think it's important for us to just speak up and to talk about um, the impact that the new cycle has had on us because you may feel a little bit alone out there. Maybe you feel like, you know, maybe you're also feeling helpless or um, unsure if you're alone in this. You're definitely not. If you feel lost and helpless and confused, you're not alone. And if you're in the middle of your PhD and feeling this way, and if it's impacting your work, it's impacting our work as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this as if it's a positive statement, but it is the way it is. And hopefully you have a supervisor and a support network that's understanding of the situation. You know, people who can empathize with you and understand that this is a difficult time for everybody. And please absolutely take the time and be gentle to yourself. And, and don't worry way too much about, you know, maybe slacking on work or anything like that. I think it's very difficult to just like psychologically speaking to focus on work when your brain is so preoccupied with this level of threat. And truthfully, I think that's what we're experiencing right now. We're in a time of great threat and, and there, you know, there's this feeling of doomsday, of, of danger. And your brain is, of course, going to focus on that instead of you know crunching numbers or doing data analysis or you know going back to research and i think that's completely normal uh exactly well said um Ikim. and i when you brought up all the other bad things that were happening this year i completely forgot that this was all happening in 2022 that COVID is still happening cases are rising the ukrainian war is still occurring that a thousand other atro atrocities are happening across the world and just speaking from my experience in Lebanon, like the situation just is not good there and, and is stacking on top of each other to the point where I think we're becoming so desensitized that I think even like in a few weeks from now, people are just going to forget that this even happened or or just have to compartmentalize to keep going in life. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to uh, feel suffocating. Um, and I think that it's probably a coping response that a lot of people choose to do. But and yeah, of course, we're by no means experts in this situation, and I wish that we could guide you to some resources. We'll we'll try to put some links, as many links as we can, for different um, different things that are happening across the world in in this link. But as Ikim said, this is more of an episode to tell people that it's okay to feel this way, and we're feeling this way. We're feeling crushed under everything that's happening. I think to the point where even like physical symptoms are starting to come out, and that can just make being quote-unquote productive super difficult but hopefully there are people surrounding you who are being supportive for giving you that time to breathe um and who are understanding of the realities that we live in and i think it's also worth pointing out that this type of situation which is really traumatic um for our generation like i think it's very easy to go into that mentality of wanting to be passive about it and taking no action because you know, it's a situation where we really feel quite powerless because there's no obvious way we can contribute to the world meaningfully and create that kind of positive impact that we really want to. Um, but I also thought about this a lot. You know, I, I could just keep my mouth shut and say nothing and do nothing and, 
you know, realistically, just by telling other people how upset I am about the Roe v. Wade situation or how impacted I am by the current news cycle, I don't really think this is going to change someone else's attitude or beliefs, especially if they're actually pro-life. Um, but I do think this kind of discourse is still important in the sense that it's important for us to speak up. It's important for us on the right side of history to continue fighting, to continue taking every single opportunity possible, no matter how insignificant, whether it's for us to speak up about this on the podcast or, or for you to perhaps tell your friends and family about how upsetting the situation is, because not participating in this discourse is not an option. And as much as I often find myself with the urge to not participate, and to just run away and be a hermit and, and you know, just give up on humanity and leave society one way or another. This is not an option. We're human beings. We're, we, we, are, we are great at cooperation. We're supposed to be the social species that is awesome at cooperating with one another. Our brains are designed for forming deep, meaningful social connections that facilitate the survival of our species. And this is one of those times we need to survive together and we're not going to survive this if we if we don't talk to each other if we don't share our opinions if we don't speak out loud if we don't stand up for our values so i think we just have to i think not participating in the discourse is just not an option even though it is difficult right with this topic when the when the answer is just so blatantly obvious it's it's uh, even more of a no-brainer to discuss this and to openly share proper facts and resources for people to understand what it is being pro-choice means and what this decision is actually going to do to those who are the most marginally oppressed. And it's just baffling to me that, <laughs> that people just are no longer given a choice on one of the most important things possible to a human being and that's bodily autonomy. Now that it's an actual active danger to someone to even speak about this or to even track something, to track their periods or even to uh, tell someone about what they're thinking is terrifying. And I'm seeing all these news articles of how to protect your privacy and how to protect your safety and how to uh, go about um, finding healthcare in general. It's surreal it literally is surreal to think about this um it's even just hard to <laughs> put into words how devastating and upsetting and unbelievable this is to people's lives now and like i i don't i don't think we owe any explanation or ex uh, yeah i don't think we owe explanations to like anyone who who's a pro-lifer or who's who's even celebrating the situation right now i don't think we owe ignorant people who've had opportunities to educate themselves but chooses not to. I don't think we owe them anything. I don't think we owe them a conversation or understanding or empathy. At this point, I'm just kind of mentally exhausted and really want to interact with people who don't believe that women should have rights. People who basically just uh, laugh. People who basically criminalize you for having a womb. Yep. I don't think those conversations conversations are good for me right now, and I don't plan on having them anytime soon. But I will say that if I meet a guy 
or anyone really. If I meet a human being who tells me they're pro-lifer and they don't believe that people with vaginas deserve human rights, I will tell everybody else about this person. You don't have to have the conversation with the person who's toxic, right? But you can have conversations with other people about the person who is toxic. Because I think at that point, you're, you're essentially just giving everybody else a warning, mm -hmm. which I personally would really appreciate if someone came to me and was like, hey, I see that you're getting close to this person. I just want to let you know this person doesn't believe in human rights. And yeah, you know, that's crucial information that I would definitely want to know. And um, I, I think there are little ways in which you can rebel, little ways in which you can make a little bit of an impact. And I'm not going to say which way is right or wrong. And I'm not even sure if my way, which is the petty way, is right <laughs> or wrong. It's very hard to tell, but this, this, this is how I've chosen to cope. I've chosen to not interact with people who are pro-lifers, um, not to have this kind of debate or political discourse with them, because I do think that for a lot of them, or at least in my social environment, like they've had every opportunity to be better human beings. And I think at this point, I do hold them accountable. If at this point, I still genuinely believe that abortions should be illegal, then I just don't think it's my job to change their opinion or anything like that. I will loudly tell them that they're wrong, but I wouldn't really argue with them because I think it's a waste of my time. And then I will warn all of my friends about this person so that they know what kind of person they are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you think of like other petty little ways to fight this battle, please also let me know because I think right now that's the only thing I need. I just need petty ways. And it's not even petty. It's it's a matter of like actual safety at this point because it's seriously unsafe. I think to even associate with someone who, like you can said, does not believe in in human rights and does not believe in someone's right to choose. Doing that to protect yourself and to protect others, I think, is very important. Um, and I know that a lot of people maybe want to have that discourse or, or explain or try to convince someone. But I think when you get to the point where you have to try to convince someone that your rights matter, it's it's a game over, and you're not on the same level already. You're you're very much on very different planes uh, across an ocean on different planets. It's and it should be on you to do so, especially when this is already so demoralizing. It just sucks away all of your energy that you possibly could have. But it's, it's, it's frustrating too, because you wanna be able to do so, so that you are taking on that burden to help those who are more vulnerable and more at risk and, and more uh, marginalized. Um, so it's, it's really at a, a very difficult crossroads and there really is no right answer of how to deal with this. So it's it's really up to you and you're allowed to deal with this in whatever way possible, in Ecom's way, in bigger, louder ways. Um, it just it just feels almost hopeless at this point in my head because of how this room court of stacks and how people are even reacting to this to begin with. And I know that it's definitely not the majority of people who agree with this. It's in fact, the minority, even in red states, the minority of people agree with this. And the fact that now this is being put on us, forced down our throats is just disgusting. I mean, the Supreme Court justices even said that they're gonna go after other um, big cases. So 
I don't even need to laugh. It's just a coping mechanism at this point that I can't believe this is actually happening. Just to illustrate the magnitude of how much this has impacted our lives, I actually have friends who are like taking concrete actions to move abroad. Like they're looking for jobs abroad. Right. So that Mm -hmm. can leave the U.S. because they anticipate more rights to be stripped away by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So like, I think if you're one of those people where to you, this is just one other news cycle that is removed from your reality and you, you can afford the kind of psychological distance, um, you know, to see this from a more um, eye above perspective, just know that you are privileged. I know that this is impacting very likely the people in your life, even if you're not American. I think, you know, I don't even live in the U.S. anymore. I live in Europe now. And part of the reason that I apply to grad schools in the in Europe is exactly because I had a really bad hunch when Trump was running and when he was, you know, actually winning and got the nomination that things were going to go really badly. So I finished college in the U.S. And when I was thinking about grad schools, I figured I would have some backup options in Europe just in case things don't work out. And of course, then the pandemic hit and I knew my hunch turned out to be right. I mean, even way before Roe v. Wade was overturned, he really left long lasting negative impact on the lives of so many people that I know myself included when it comes to immigration, visa restrictions, travel bans, um, also just, you know, various educational outcomes or even Title IX, you know, Trump also had a hand in that as well. Right. He right. impacted the process of Title IX to give more rights to the accused as opposed to the person, um, the victims, which, you know, I, I think there are a lot of moral implications as to whether this was right or wrong or to what extent, but I think the answer is not going to be so black and white. And, you know, I'm not singling out one incident but I'm saying that Trump's legacy you know there's a pattern to it for sure there's this heavily right-wing conservative undertone that runs through every single policy and every single person that he has installed in government and the Supreme Court this is a large collaborated effort by the right to slowly well actually quickly chip away the rights of women, minorities, and trans folks. This is not an isolated incident. This is not a accidental attack. This is a large concerted effort. And I think we have to start acknowledging that. And and I think this is really the time for the left to come together. And and I can say for myself that I I don't feel like, you know, again, just to reiterate, I do feel powerless. I know there's nothing I can concretely do to rapidly change the situation, but I think this is the time we take a stand and really make our values and opinions known to the world. I think this is the time to be loud. This is the time to have our voice, you know, be heard by anyone who will listen because the truth is they need to know that we're out there. They need to know that this is not just going to go unchallenged. I mean, even if they're going to keep doing things, even if they're going to keep stripping away rights, why should we give them an easy time? We really shouldn't. Definitely fight in every opportunity that you can to the extent that you can. I know this is not always possible depending on, you know, maybe your state of mind and your mental health. But if you have the opportunity and you're you're thinking to let it go just because you don't think it's going to make any 
impact at all, take it. Just do it anyways. You know, tell people that you can trust and, and let them know who you are. Because we really need to know who we are out there. Very well said. Um, again, and like like you said, it's been a concerted effort from from when Roe v. Wade was even put into place in the 1970s for conservatives to take it down from the moment of its inception. And so it's just going to keep happening with all of these different programs being chipped away. And of course, Trump, I think, definitely had the biggest hand in this because he was able to install three Supreme Court justices who will continue on challenging major decisions that I can't believe are actually going to be challenged after not even having them for a few years, like uh, gay marriage, contraceptives are now being challenged and IVF treatments even like, is being challenged. And this isn't just affecting people who are to the left. It's also going to be affecting people who are conservatives because some people also cannot conceive and want to use IVFs to be able to do so. And now they can't because fertilizing an egg is considered having a child and killing that child because not all of the eggs can be fertilized. Or I think I'm getting some of that process wrong, but it's just yeah. unbelievable to think to think that this is actually happening, something that so many families and people want. Um, and I've been seeing so many signs now of people holding up signs of like, oh, we'll adopt your child. And it's just so scary and, and like sends a shiver down my spine whenever I see those billboards. It's terrifying. Are they writing their phone numbers, home address, <laughs> no address, work, employment, salary, everything? Because other than that, like how? Right. That's just a slogan. I can, and, I mean, anybody can write slogans. Right. That means absolutely nothing. Is like, it also? Yeah, this is this is the funniest part about this whole debacle, which which is just the utter lack of rationality mm-hmm. or logic mm-hmm. in a lot of the right wing arguments. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can say a bunch of like aggregated cells constitute life, which like I think just it makes my it makes my ears bleed, honestly, to hear that. If you believe that is true, then of course a lot of other arguments that are perfectly rational and logical must also be illogical. For example, IVFs. Like this will have implications on so many things, um, on so many ways in which society has been operating smoothly in. And and, uh, it's just going to have long lasting impact and it's challenging my perception of what humans can can agree on, you know? Yeah, 100%, 100%. It it is just mind-blowingly ridiculous like i i really cannot see the other side on this at all and i really hope people wake up but i i've been saying that ever since trump and ever since i've sort of started becoming more aware of of the political separation um and i know that that's very privileged in me too because people who have come from marginalized communities and people of color have seen this for much longer and already understand and know how awful the United States is and that it's going to just keep getting more and more awful I think and it just is scary because it doesn't seem like there's a silver lining on it so like Ecom said if you can get out that would be great if you can organize that's also great (laughs) just it just seems so I think maybe the the most concrete thing that anyone can do especially if you have a vagina um or if you're just a minority in general because 
I really think, you know, they're coming for your rights next. It's it's not, it's going to be your turn. Mm -hmm. and, and if you don't care about this, if you don't care about Roe v. Wade, then care about that, because this is not going to stop at Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the most concrete action you can take is to look into, um, like, just have backup plans, have alternatives, think about your options. And I mean, like, grand big picture life choices, which I know is very difficult. You know, you want to you wanna stay where you are and you want to be close to the people that you know. I understand all of this. But just think about backup plans. What happens if your rights are rolled back? What happens if you find yourself pregnant? What happens if you, you know, find yourself in a situation that is suddenly dangerous or will soon become dangerous? Think about what you're going to do then. Think, play through that possibility and think about concrete things that you can do, people that you can ask um for help from maybe you know phone numbers that you can call um live chat options or clinics that you can consult think about various options that you can take if you find yourself in a dangerous situation because i think now the best thing we can all do is just to prepare for these possibilities and by we i, I guess i don't really mean me personally so I, I do speak from a position of privilege because i'm not so impacted by the policy in the U.S. aside from the just the, the just the psychological damage and and realizing that we live in very different realities from a lot of other people. Um, but I do think you know, like this is impacting a lot of people, and not just Americans, but anyone who's living in the U.S. and also the rest of the world as well. Like for example, the um, the main conference in social psychology. Um, SPSP, they're actually, you know, considering moving the conference from Georgia to a different place. I don't really know if they'll go through with it, but I think it's just so interesting that, you know, this is impacting so many things in ways that you wouldn't have necessarily anticipated. Um, because what if you're pregnant at the time of the conference, or what if you become pregnant during the conference, or, or, or find out that you're pregnant at the conference, um, you know, what if you need reproductive health care for the duration of the conference, especially if you're international and you're traveling from abroad, maybe you need urgent reproductive health care in the moment, will you be able to access that? Will it be safe? Will it be legal? Will you be punished? How would the laws work? I think those are all very urgent questions that, you know, like even just for psychologists who are organizing conferences, they're thinking about this. Um, so it just really goes to show the extent to which overturning Roe v. Wade is going to impact everybody's lives in profound ways. Yeah, it's definitely causing, I think, a lot of shifts in, I think, where people are going to end up, especially if they have the resources to leave. I think that's the most saddening thing is that the people who can't leave are stuck in these states and are at the highest risk for just I mean, quite frankly, to die because this is what this law is going to do. I mean, the, the conservatives and the Republicans and the people who've, uh, who are in power, um, who are again, who are quote unquote pro-life um, have certainly had abortions, know people who've had abortions and are completely fine with being hypocritical. But so they're fine with this because they know that they can get it whenever they want. But this is an active way of suppressing those who really do not have the ability or the the means to move up to someplace else or to leave the United States or to leave the red state, for example. Um, 
So it's, it's, it just feels hopeless in a lot of ways for people who have no other choice. Um, yeah. And I read this very interesting article, which we'll link in a podcast as well about, um, it was this journalist, I think she works for Vice, and she mm-hmm. wrote this article about, you know, people who have gotten abortions, um, whether for themselves or someone they know, someone they're very close to has gotten abortions in the past, and um, they're all pro-lifers, and how they cope with this, this kind of cognitive dissonance of having had very personal, intimate experiences with the process. Yes. And for so many of them, multiple times, apparently, and yet they, they immediately go back to picket fencing, the clinic the very next day, or, or they, they, you know, chastise the nurses for, for being involved in the process for their own health care. And, and this was a very interesting read for me because I kept thinking about how someone could live with such cognitive dissonance. How does that really work? And the journalist concluded that the, the only, for, for these pro-lifers, the only moral abortion is mine. And I thought about it and, and I, I, I realized maybe this isn't really about cognitive dissonance. It's not really about having your beliefs challenged in one way or another and then having to reconcile that difference. I think this is actually just extreme selfishness. The idea that nobody else has the right to access something that you yourself have access in the past. I think that's just extreme selfishness and it's so hyper individualistic um I don't really think it's a problem of cognitive dissonance I don't really think that challenging them with facts or statistics or personal stories or anecdotes will necessarily help this is also one of the reasons I don't want to engage in conversations with pro-lifers about whether their beliefs are right or wrong because at this point they have access to the kind of stats and numbers and facts that we all have access to as a part of you know, if you have access to Google, to internet, you can very e- easily find out about things that would challenge your beliefs. And I, I know that, you know, with algorithms and everything, we're just, you know, confirming our existing biases. Sure. But when it comes to a fundamental reality that we all share as a human species, which is that we got to look out for each other and, and people are suffering. I, I feel like there's really it's, it, I, I find it very illogical for people to disagree with someone else's narrative that they're suffering, that they're in pain because of so-and-so, because of the aftermath of Roe v. Wade. I mean, because what are you really arguing with then? I think it's just extreme selfishness. And, and it's not that you can't comprehend that someone else may be suffering or, or in pain because of so-and-so, but I think rather you just don't care, which I think in some ways is a more chilling um understanding i think you hit the nail on the head with that that it is a lack of empathy and even sympathy for the actual people alive who are having these children are having these complications who are once a choice just in general regardless of the of of what is going on because of this fundamental belief that a clump of cells is more important than the body carrying it and that i think it all stems back to wanting to have control over someone's body entirely, and it has nothing to do with any of their other claims that they make. And even when I present people with statistics, it's it's like it's not even considered. It's uh, coming from a biased source, quote unquote, and that it's not it's not a fa- factual. So when you have when you're having these discussions with people who are completely even just disregarding the facts and the statements and the even the experiences of people you just know that 
you're arguing a losing battle and you can't, you can't reason with these people. And so that is all to say <laughs> that we are in the exact same boat as everyone who, as the one person who's listening to this podcast, <laughs> as the people who listen to this, um, and that it's okay to, and that it's encouraged to feel these feelings and to discuss them with people that you trust and to really just process all the emotions that you're going through, um, especially if you're going through a PhD at this moment too, when that's incredibly high stress and you could feel like you're on a time crunch, but it's okay to process this and take this time and you should not feel guilty for putting aside some moments to really sit with this and to cry and grieve um, what's been going on because it's truly, truly upsetting and uh, yeah, it's okay. And what you're doing is an importance and that's also a big takeaway from uh, our conversation. Ekin, did you have any big takeaways? Yeah, I, I think just, you know, first talk to someone that you can trust, a friend or a family member, someone that you know is supportive. If you're having a hard time, you know, share that pain. I, I know the saying misery loves company is usually set with a negative connotation, but I really genuinely believe that there's science behind sharing um, negative experiences and negative feelings. And, and that can sometimes, you know, bring forth something that's beautiful and, and relief. Um, and I think number two is just, come up with very tangible and perhaps small steps that you can take, small tasks that you can do for the day. So, you know, for example, ever since last week, my to-do list has just become incredibly simple. Um, something like get groceries or, or do laundry, you know, something that, that feels smaller and, and it's not even necessarily work-related, just put that onto your to-do list. I also had like, you know, take a shower on my to-do list at some point. Um, just check that off and do small things, small concrete actions that you know can help you move forward to the day to mark your day in some way. And if you're not in that mental space, if you're if you don't feel like taking any concrete steps to you know like mark your day in some way, then just don't. Just take the day off if you can, if if you're able to, and if you want to, just do it. There's not going to be a better time to to take a break if you're able to. So take care of yourself and prioritize your mental health because if you're not in the right headspace, your work is not going to be great either. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but in my PhD, I'm quite relaxed about like, um, in, in terms of, well, not that I'm quite relaxed, but in, in terms of like <laughs> being able to pace my workload and being able to say, you know what, um, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to take more time to complete this particular task or, or to spend more focus on another project. That is totally fine. So if you have that kind of freedom, as I think a lot of PhD students do, even though, you know, maybe you don't, I don't know your circumstances, but find little ways in which you can take care of yourself in some sort of concrete ways, whether it's making a conscious choice of taking a break and letting yourself just do nothing and be a couch potato, um, do that. Find small ways. Yes. Find the way that works for you. Stick to it and take as long as you need to do this because we are not in good times. And but we are here to discuss and to commiserate and just be with one another as we process through this new reality um, and through these continued new realities that we all live in. So thank you all for listening in on this uh, 
special episode after a few months <laughs> and we hope to continue coming back with uh, more content. This is something that makes us happy to do. And um, this is our way of also processing and just being able to talk to each other about it and the wider podcast listener space. <laughs> so thank you.